Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. If someone daily wrote or tweeted about me and this show, I would read everything about it. This is the press box. Would Derek you feel Cox. disrespected though? Yeah. Oh yeah, depends on depends on who it is. With Grady and Bischoff. Hold on, Jared's disappointed in you. Pretty sure Steven writes about this show every day and tweets about it. And I read it. And you read it. I read it every day. Every morning. 5 30 a.m. Yeah. Well, he's in Australia, so Do it's you? like midnight. Yeah, that's like, yeah. yeah, he's just awake. Do you set an alarm or do you set the alarm and wake up before because you know you have to wake up? Uh, well, this morning I hit my snooze button and realized I'd already hit it twice, so was running a little behind. Okay. I used to get up before my alarm went off. Yeah. Then yeah. we had this whole pandemic thing, and I was like, oh, I can sleep till 6.45 <laughs> and then just walk down the hall to do uh, it on my computer from another room. The wonderful days of clean feet. <laughs> yeah. So before that, I used to get up before my alarm. Yes. Now, I'm, now I need my alarm. When Tyler was in his bathroom and Ed was in his kitchen. Yes. I, uh... I set the alarm, and five minutes before, I wake up automatically. Yeah. And I turn it off on the iPhone. I don't. And now I can actually find it on the iPhone, so that's good, too. <laughs> I mean, it's I've, I've advanced. So anyway. Oh, wait, wait, wait. How often did your phone just alarm just keep going off because you couldn't figure out how to shut it off? When I first started. <laughs> oh, when I first started. God. But now, but once talking to Cassie, when that once talking to Cassie, I've, uh, I've mastered the iPhone. I can even <laughs> set the alarm each night. And, uh, and I've, I've heard, like, if you don't erase it, it'll stay there. But I delete it every morning for some reason. I go in and I swipe it. Yeah, it'll stay it. there. Or you can just, like, tell Siri and Siri no, will set no, the alarm No, 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 I'll you. stop you right there. I've never done that person. <laughs> I don't want to know about that person. Do she, not bring her into my life. Don't do it. She used to follow me on Twitter, and it was the most— Siri? The, the woman who voices Siri used to follow me on Twitter, and it was one of those, like— why? What? I didn't know that person. Well, I'm assuming it's the voice of the, whoever she is. I don't need that following me. I, I hope I, she's I rich. I, I bet hope. she's not. I know. I, I would think she is. No, based on Apple's like payment, like the the way they pay their employees and put up nets in case they're not happy. Nah. Who's running that place? UFC. Well, here we are on a Friday. <laughs> here we go, Jerry. The first bite. So neither of your guys' alarms go off while you're in the shower. Weird. Yeah. Will Giannis get any help? Oh. Jared came into press this morning. He's a Bucks fan. Well, if he doesn't get any help, this thing's going to be over in four, and they'll be on to the offseason. Hey, at <laughs> one point they cut it down to seven. <laughs> yeah, Giannis I, had 42 yeah. yesterday. He had 32 at the end of three. He was the hitting his free throws! He had 32 at the end of the third, which is a problem because the other team or his other players combined for 32. So that's always a problem. <laughs> when you have 32 and the other guys have combined for 32, it's like, can I get anything here? So you got Giannis for 42 on 15 of 22 shooting. Uh, Drew Holiday, though, 17 points on 7 of 21 shooting. Drew Holiday was 5 of 12 on layups. Chris Middleton had 11 points on 5 of 16 shooting. Chris Middleton only took one layup in the game. He took nine mid-range jumpers. The Bucs as a team missed 14 layups. 
Giannis only missed one of those. He was nine of ten at the rim. So uh-huh. the rest of the Bucks were twelve of twenty-five. The Bucks not named Giannis shot under fifty percent on layups yesterday. Mm. Like that's ridiculous. And as a team, they shot nine of thirty-one from three, which is twenty-nine percent, while Phoenix hit twenty of forty threes. Giannis was spectacular in the game yesterday. Giannis was the best player on the floor yesterday, and like by a wide margin. Like it wasn't particularly close. He was the best player in that game, and the Bucks didn't really have a chance because not a single other player from Milwaukee even had an approaching decent game. Are we all just wondering if Giannis looked at the Hawks and said, "These guys aren't good enough. Let me take a week off." Because (laughs) this guy comes back from like a supposed like an injury, and like two games after coming back, he's like dominating again. Like, what injury was that? No, and he kept getting. He kept scaring the crap out of me during the game where he would fall down and I'd go, oh, God, his knee's done. He's the only player worth anything. Well, big people fall down a lot, so you're going to be scared a lot more through the next two Especially entire the way he plays. games of this series. Yeah. But, like, I, they've got to get something. We we just saw a series, and, yes, it was the Hawks. Yeah, it was it the wasn't Hawks. the Suns. But Hawks with a, still, bad, with a banged up uh, Trey Young. It was still the Eastern Conference Finals, and Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton looked Great. good. Yeah, like they, great. And they don't even need them to be great. They just need them to be competent. If those two guys are competent yesterday, the Bucks win. They're, they win if Drew Holiday doesn't go 5 of 12 on layups. He's been, I mean, these two games, if you'd have told me before, given what we saw in the Atlanta series, Drew Holiday, Middleton was, wasn't was horrible the first game. Last night he wasn't good, but Drew Holiday for two games has just been awful. Yeah. It's amazing that he went from what you moments you saw in the Atlanta series and other series coming into this and what we see now from Drew Holiday. And I don't know if it's necessarily everything the Suns is do, are doing. No, he can't I think layups. he's just bad. He's he's five yeah. of twelve on layups yeah. in I mean, that game. It's not them. And it, yeah, it's not like he, DeAndre Ayton blocked four of his layups. No. He, he just missed them. Like again, the Suns. I don't even know if we should should give them that much credit defensively because. Again, they were non Giannis Bucks were under fifty percent on layups. I was happier to see Giannis do the stupid pull up from three than I was. Oh God, please don't give it to Drew Holiday. It, I I was more like no no Giannis just shoot it from half court. Giannis threes. You're more likely to make it. Were very effective because he made he was one of five. He made one. And on the other two he took, Robin Lopez was being guarded by a guard, got an offensive rebound and put yeah. it back in. So Giannis threes actually got them seven points I mean, on five attempts. It, look, if you're previewing the, the series, you know how they do the previews and Bucks and six or, you know, Suns and five, whatever. At any point, if you wrote this, the sentence, Robin Lopez is going to be their second best player, you <laughs> would immediately say, I think the Suns might be winning this series in four or five. Okay. I also have a big complaint for the Bucks about their ball screen defense, which we've is not about. working. We've talked about this week and how the Suns are the best mid range team in the in the in the league. And yes. the Bucks general strategy, usual strategy on ball screens is to play drop coverage, yep. which is where the big guy drops in the lane. His responsibility is not to give up a layup to either the guard or the big man rolling to the basket. While the guard defending the ball screen goes over the top so that the guard can't shoot a three behind the ball screen. That's just the basic tenets of drop coverage. The good thing about it, you don't give up layups, you don't give up threes, you do encourage mid-range jumpers, and you don't have to send any help side defense. You can guard a ball screen with two people when you go to drop coverage. 
for whatever reason in game two, the Bucks decided they were going to stick with their drop coverage, but they were going to send help side defenders to Chris Paul and Devin Booker to make sure they couldn't shoot mid-range jumpers. And so what that meant was Chris Paul and Devin Booker would just kick it out to mm-hmm. Kale Bridges or Jay Crowder or whoever the hell was on the three-point line, and they would get a wide-open three. And not that you expect the Suns to shoot 50% from three ever again, but that's why the Suns took so many threes and made so many of them was because the Bucks decided, even though they run a ball screen defense that encourages mid-range jumpers and doesn't require help, they decided to send help side defenders to stop the mid-range jumpers and gave up open threes as a result. It's dumb. I cannot figure out why on earth they would do that. It's the exact opposite of why you would run that defense in the first place. And then you get, like you said, a guy like Mikhail Bridges scoring 27. Actually, hit threes, but also when they when they ran at him, he, he was able to yeah. he was able to put it on the uh, on the deck and go and get baskets. He actually, I mean, he scored some big baskets, like to push leads to like nine and eleven. And look again when if if Paul and if Paul and Devin Booker are going to be so good that everyone's deciding which one's the MVP, and then you give Mikhail Bridges twenty seven, you you don't you don't have much of a chance at that point. I mean, it's just those are the things that we're looking at in the series. The second and third player, best players in the Bucks stink. And you're giving Mikel Bridges, letting him go off for 27. You, there's no formula at that point for where you can come back. I mean, I, I'm not talking fully in the series. Well, I mean, obviously, game three is completely pivotal, and they lose that. It's over. But they're doing things in these games where you cannot win if these specific things happen. And everything that's on that list is happening. Yeah. They're doing everything wrong, and the Suns are getting 27 from Mikael Bridges. I Okay, so do you think the Bucks have any chance to win this series? Yes, because I just think that. As I know, and you know, Tyler, until you lose at home, it's not a real series. <laughs> Don't give me false hope. <laughs> because I believe everything Mark Stone says, and Mark Stone told us that. So, <sighs> Mark Stone wasn't shirtless on gonna, that podium. I'm gonna, uh, yeah, wait till game three. I, again, it's a weird. You know, they could go home, and Middleton and Drew Holiday could be the Middleton Drew Holiday we saw against Atlanta. And then if Gian, if Giannis stays like this, they will win Game Three. So if that happens, you never know. But no, I don't think you can go away from these two games. Say, hey, I like their chances. I think. But they are they the so series. bad? That's the other thing I was gonna say. Have they been so bad that they're not keeping this up and they can come back? I think they have a legitimate chance to win the series. If you look at game two, the Suns got less than 10 layups in that game. Like the, the Bucks defense, even though they, for whatever reason, decided to help on mid-range jumpers, the Bucks defense did not give up layups. And even though three-point shooting has taken over the sport of basketball, this, the best way to score is to get layups. That's the best way to do it. And the Suns didn't get any of them in that game. So if you told me from here on out, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, at least one of them are going to be them. It's going to be competent right. in every game the rest of the series. And if you told me Mike Budenholzer would stop helping on mid-range jumpers, I would tell you the Bucks have a legitimate chance to win this series. The problem is they have to win four out of five. The problem is their margin for error is almost non-existent because they, they can play well. And if the Suns hit 20 of 43s again, you're losing the game. If Devin Booker and Chris Paul hit like 70% of their mid-range jumpers in a game, you're losing. So they can play well and still lose, which basically ends the series at that point. But I think they have a chance. Like last night, I thought the Bucs played better. I thought the Bucs were a better basketball team than the Phoenix Suns. The Bucs just couldn't make layups. The Suns shot better from three than all non-Giannis Bucs did on layups. 
right? That's 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 the game really? right there. I mean, they outscored him by thirty three from three. Right. I that's, mean, that's that's the game. Staggering. That shouldn't happen again. Like the Suns aren't they're not a fifty percent three point shooting no. team. No, I mean the is. twenty was like tied for second in the most. They're right. not going to hit that many again. And the Bucks are actually a good three point shooting team, and they shot twenty nine percent. So like right. that should, if anything, that should flip back the other way. So I I do think the Bucks have a chance. There's just no margin for error. Jared, this is your team. I mean, I the poor girl who was serving me drinks was like. She asked if I was okay during the fourth quarter, and all I did was like look up at her and go, "We we we can't cut it to anything but seven. And she went, "So another round?" <laughs> and I went, "Yes, please." I mean, based on your haircut, it's probably fair if any bartender asks if you're okay. <laughs> hey, I got this because I support the women's national team in soccer. Whose hair is that? Mega Rapino. That's not even close. Yeah, fair enough. It's way too long for that. It's way too long for that. <laughs> Plus, you, you're going to have to go to an actual hairstylist yeah. and not shave it yourself if you want the Megan Rapino haircut. Someday. <laughs> who's the who's the MVP at this point? I think to put it this way, if it ended today, they'd give it to Paul. I think it's Booker. Well, I think it's Booker too. I think they'd give it to Paul. Yeah, I mean, I think, no, I, I think I, it's Giannis, and I think that's, that's, that's him, fair. Actually. I think I think it may yes. be Giannis in four games. What if they, they get lose. swept? What if they get swept? Your MVP, Giannis. If the next three games, he's are like he exact, was last or night. The next two games are just like game two. I, he, I mean, the they wouldn't, player. but it'd be funny. It would be. He he's, blocked Chris Paul to the floor, <laughs> and then went and dunked it, and they lost by. Ten, a yeah. second time. Devin Booker is, he's such a bad shot maker. Like, it's incredible. There were two shots in this game that stuck out. One, he took an off-the-dribble, fadeaway mid-range jumper over Giannis and made it. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's probably the worst shot in the history of the sport, given the guy that's guarding you. And he made it. And then there was another possession where the Suns had, like, a three-on-two, but Chris Paul lost the ball, so it turned into a three-on-three. Booker has it in the corner. So three on three, Giannis and Brooke Lopez still haven't made it down the floor yet. There are no bigs to protect the rim. So it's like, okay, drive to the rim and, and try to get a layup. Devin Booker just stands in the corner and waits for the for everybody to get down the floor. And it's like, okay, fine, run a five on five, you know, half court set. No, as soon as the Bucks defense got set, he said, All right, now I'll shoot the three. Now I'll shoot it so they can get the defensive rebound if I miss. And he made the three anyways. Like he takes a lot of shots. We're like, that's a terrible shot. That's the thing. And he makes them. I can't tell you how many times I said that's a terrible shot. Man, nope. that was a hard shot to make. <laughs> you know what I mean? I yeah. mean, it was a terrible shot. And Do you know made... how many times I did? Yeah, it was a terrible shot. And like the one over Giannis, I'm like, how incredible. How how did he make that? Because it was such a bad shot, but he still makes them. He's an incredible bad yeah. shot maker. Yes. And it's it's why like the Kobe <laughs> Bryant comparisons are yeah. there. Because Kobe, yes. Kobe's shot selection for the yeah. average NBA player was horrible. Like Nobody should shoot those shots. But Kobe could make him at a high enough rate that it was like, yeah, that guy's good enough. He it's should, amazing a those. kid like that who literally, I mean, Kobe was his favorite player and the whole writing on the shoes and all that and who he is, kind of, and he obviously wanted to be like Kobe, that not only patterned his game after Kobe, but being able to do what Kobe did. It's one shot. thing to say, yeah. I want to be Kobe Bryant, I'm going to play like him. It's like, no, you're not, because no one ever could. And now you're watching this kid play, and you're like, he actually can do some yeah. of those things, which is absolutely amazing, because... 
that's hard to right. do to it's, be like yeah. Kobe Bryant. Because but, there there are every year in the NBA, there's less than like five guys that you would say, yeah, that guy should take that shot. Right. It's like Kevin Durant. This year it's Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and that might be the end of the list of saying, yeah, you should take that shot. Right. And the Suns have two of them, and it's a big reason why they're here. I mean, it's also you play for the Suns for as long as he did. Kobe was allowed to. He had permanent green light. When you play for the Suns, you pretty much have permanent green light. So you well, those two get, guys have for sure. That for sure, you, those guys have. You green at light. least get to practice those. Un, the, yeah. Don't shoot that. All right, he made it. Yeah. All right. Coming up next, we'll get into the Golden Knights because they should just trade for everyone: Jack Eichel, Vladimir Tarasenko. But now you've got a chance to win two tickets to go to the AT&T WNBA All-Star Game. The U.S. Basketball Women's National Team will take on the WNBA All-Stars at Michelob Ultra Arena at Mandalay Bay Resorts and Casino. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. If you want to go see the uh, WNBA All-Star Game, we will take caller number four at 702-364-1100. Next question this morning comes from Justin Emerson, the Las Vegas Sun. Hey, Mark, you guys have, have played pretty well over the last two games, came out with a win in one of them. So I guess how much of the game plan for game four is kind of stay the course and do what you've been doing, and how much of that is 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 knowing that uh, that you guys do need uh, – I don't know, sorry. I guess that how much um, that you – wow, sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. I still think the best thing about that is I don't think Stone got him because I don't think Stone had any idea what he was talking about. So I would have loved to like hear the Stone answer because the nine times out of ten, there's no way Stone answered what was the question. Because how could he have known what Stone, the question was? Stone zoned out halfway I mean, through it. I got gotcha. you. I mean, it's... There's no way Stone knew what it was, so he just kind of probably uh, talked. You know, we we went uh, out there yeah, and exactly. uh, we put yeah. our uh, best uh, foot, foot forward, yeah. and uh, you know, we all we're, we're trying to work as a team. I do believe Jared only played that because Emerson is a Suns fan, yes, and yes. you want to yes. you're mad at him. Yeah, I'm mad at everyone. Okay, um, so we have. Two... I've texted Amber Dixon some very not nice things. We have two uh, potential big names. Well, it might be more than two, but two potential big names on the move in the NHL this offseason. Jack Eichel is one we've talked about. Uh, He might want to get traded out of Buffalo, might end up getting traded out of Buffalo. And Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, according to The Athletic, he wants to be traded out of St. Louis. So you're looking at Eichel is a 24-year-old center who has been, you know, until his injuries, had been one of the, you know, five or six best centers in the NHL for a couple of years. Tarasenko is going to be 30 next season. He's a winger. Uh, he's only played 34 games in the last two seasons. But before that, he had scored over 200 goals in the previous mm-hmm. six seasons. He's got two years left at $7.5 million as his cap hit. Um, if you're the Golden Knights, are you chasing one, both, neither of those guys? I might want both for the power play. <laughs> They might be able to be good on that. You know, the Eichel thing is interesting. I, I, I read the tweet by Elliot Friedman yesterday. I sort of laughed because I don't know if now it's just a cliche or a presumption that anyone out there, McPhee, would would be interested in or if there's something really to this. But now with what they've done, Patch Reddy, Stone, adding all these guys, 
do you think this is just an annual thing where people start whispering, well, Vegas might be involved because they're involved in everybody? And, like, if you went to McPhee right now and said, because we've talked about what's the haul for Jack Eichel, even though he's hurt with the neck and might, you know, I, someone made a fun last night, oh, he could be Kucherov, just come back for the playoffs, but... I'm not so certain uh, certain that's not far off. I mean, he's got a neck injury that they think they need surgery on. I think it's also because the Golden Knights haven't won the Stanley Cup yet. Like they and McPhee has proven that when his team falls short, he's going to try to make them better in the offseason. And they've been the biggest hunters or whatever yes, buyers. Big names. And it, since they've been in the league, yeah. they've been the biggest buyers of teams at trade deadlines and in the offseason. So yeah, I, I think part of it is you look at, yeah, it's just the Golden Knights have always been after people, but also because they haven't won and because McPhee is out here always trying to make changes. One of these years, sure, he'll probably just make some small changes. Maybe that's this offseason. Maybe it's this year. But you look Never. at a team. We're getting Cody Eakin yeah, back. You look at a team that struggled to score and there's big name centers, big name wingers out there. Yeah, the Golden Knights make a lot of sense. I, again, I, I, I sort of want them to get involved here. Because I, I don't really care either way if they get him, but I want them to get involved here and us to know legitimate reports of what they would offer for him. Yeah. That's all. I, I yeah. just want to know that. What? Because we've we've surmised, oh, is it Theodore and two ones? Is it Theodore and him and two ones? Theodore always seems to be the one coming up in the conversations. But I want it to happen, not not to fruition. I don't care either way if he, he would come. It's more like, what's the real value in their minds for Jack Eichel? Yeah. Like, that's all I really care yeah. about. And to me, like if you if you're the Golden Knights this offseason, I think their biggest goal needs to be to get a center that's better than Chandler Stevenson. Right. Yeah. Where Chandler Stevenson is not one of yeah. your top two centers. That to me should be the number one goal. Jack Eichel is obviously at the top of that list of hey, what center would you get that's better yeah, than Chandler Stevenson? Jack Eichel's the best yeah. one that's out there. So if I was the Golden Knights, I would absolutely be interested in Jack Eichel. Tarasenko. He's a little bit older. He's had back-to-back he's been, seasons. He's had back-to-back he seasons, and he's not back-to-back seasons at 24. Right. He's and and there's $7.5 on that deal, which, granted, Eichel is is expensive too, but he's younger. So not that you sh- not that they shouldn't go after Tarasenko if maybe Jack Eichel, if they couldn't get Jack Eichel. I just think Tarasenko is definitely a, a second, third option or something like that simply because – he doesn't play center. And that to me should be their number one option. They're pretty good winger wise. Like if they don't yeah. make any significant moves, they've got good wingers. They don't have good centers. Okay. I'll be sacrilegious here to golden Knights fans. Cause they're driving off the road when I say this, but let me ask you this. What if, is it possible that they'd find a center better than Stevenson? Not as good as Carlson and Carlson would move up. Yeah, it is. I think so. Yeah. Because you know, all oh, the misfits don't break up, yeah. but I mean, it's Okay. The misfits are fine and everything. You're going to be five years in now. Right. And you haven't won it all. So it's like, let's not go over the board on the misfits, and you must keep them together for, like, eternity. Yeah, no, I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to happen. And that would be a smaller move, and you bring in right. a center that gets paid three or four million or something but like that. But is better than Stevenson. Right, but pushes Stevenson down the lineup, right. and now, all right, you're better off. Maybe not a massive move, but you're better off. Can you be called misfits five years in of, to being a professional well, hockey line? I guess you Shouldn't be, but you always will be. That's Nick, what they'll always be known stick, as. Jerry. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I'm just saying, like, misfits, I mean, they keep getting to the Western Conference final. I mean, when he's on Calgary, they're going to be saying, there goes the glasser. <laughs> Coming up next, Austin Gale joins the show.
There was a lot of speculation that when Tom Brady went on the shop, oh yeah, yeah. what he was saying at the MF or he was, oh, yeah, he was yeah, thinking oh, it was yeah. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, what did you think of that? That that people thought it was it was you and the Raiders. From what I know, it wasn't me. Okay. You know. Okay, uh, that's good. It, which is good. And if it was, like I've I've gotten in enough trouble trying to challenge some people to fight. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, but as a man, you know what I'm saying? Like Tom, like you right. got I know you got the rings, but yeah. You know, yeah, if it's not me, then we're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Austin Gale. Austin, is there a better, dumber offseason storyline than who is the MF or Tom Brady was referring to? There isn't. I think it's my favorite one of the offseason. It's been fantastic. I think every single quarterback in the NFL has been speculated to be that mother effort. <laughs> Can you have sources that confirm it is Derek Carr? Because that would be good for us. That would be good for the that show. That was fantastic. Can you imagine if Derek Carr on that interview said, yeah, it was me? That was, there's, there's just no way. There's just a zero percent chance that even if it was him, yeah. it was going to – like, I don't, I don't get it. Um, I did want to ask you something. So you guys have uh, Tej Seth writing for you guys, and he had tweeted out uh, last week about bottom five defenses and that over 60% of the time – a bottom five defense from one year is not bottom five the next year. And over 30% of the time, a bottom five defense actually becomes a top half defense the next season. And so I'm curious, like your thoughts on just like the volatility of defenses or, or how it's harder to predict. And if you were in a front office, what does that mean as far as how you should be spending your resources with draft picks and salary cap towards defensive players? That is a fantastic question, and Tay Seth is one of my favorite writers on PFF.com right now. He is fantastic. I think the first thing I'll say is this. The volatility of NFL defenses might be the most under-discussed topic, under-appreciated topic in the NFL right now. There are so many people who bank on defenses who were good the year before to maintain that you know, goodness, and I think a lot of it is injury-related. It is so difficult to maintain a high-end defense where all 11 starters – from the previous year, you need to come in and not only perform at the level they did the year prior, but stay healthy. You see it with the San Francisco 49ers. You saw it with the Jacksonville Jaguars a few years ago, the Bills. It's very difficult to maintain high-end play on the defensive side of the ball with just how many people have to be good. For offenses, quarterback drives so much of that. And if your quarterback's the same guy year over year, your offense is likely going to be as good as it was the year prior. Like That's how it works. Defensively, it's a full 11. You need a full 11 and depth to be good. It's a weak link. I think the other part of that, too, is that offenses dictate how good defenses are. Strength of schedule matters. You know, strength of schedule the year prior matters. And I think that the percentages are funny because the Raiders are somehow, somehow bucking the trend and <laughs> that they've been a bottom-five defense for the better half of the last 15 years. And I think that they're, they're finding unique ways to not actually change that. So I do think that more, from, a, from a GM and from, from a front office perspective, how you attack that is continue to raise the floor of your defense. You don't need stars, absolute stars, at certain positions. You need depth everywhere. It's a weak link type of on, that, on that side of the ball. You can't have one bad corner or else you're going to get picked on. You need to find ways, unique ways to invest in depth on the defense side of the ball and continue to throw a ton of resources at it in terms of bodies. I think that's where my mindset goes. But how big of an indictment is that on them? And we were talking earlier in the week about the whole sense of, you know, it's easier to go now 17-0 and than 0-17 because of the parity in the league. How big of an indictment if, you have, if you're that bad that long defensively when historically it says you shouldn't be? At some point you should rise above that. It's so bad. I mean, it shows that, you know, it's been a, mis- it's been a lot of turnover. You know, talk about 
turnover for the Raiders. They have not had a lot of year-over-year like high-performing players. And when they did, Khalil Mack, they trade him away. Like the best defensive player that's played for the Raiders over the past few years has been Khalil Mack, and he is a legitimate game changer that 2016 season. But like now, you don't have that year-over-year stability. I think the best defenses are ones that maintain some of that stability and maintain some of those high-end players. I think the Ravens are maybe a good example who have kept a lot of really talented players and they've learned to develop pass rushers. I think getting an understanding of how to identify and develop pass rushers is also a very difficult phenomenon in the NFL. I think the Ravens have hit on it and finding unique ways to bring in guys like Matthew Judon, Darius Smith, Calais Campbell, and like continue to try and find unique ways to rush the passer and rush it effectively without breaking the bank. You know, we look at the Kansas City Chiefs, spent big on Frank Clark, spent big on Chris Jones, and now they're struggling to fill out the rest of their defense. So also an allocation of salary cap and, and, and draft resource. You know, the Seattle Seahawks trade two first-round picks for Jamal Adams. That's not a good decision. You know, you spend $25 million a year on Frank Clark. That's not a good decision. You have to be very resourceful with how you spend on defense. And I think a lot of it is finding cheap players that can come in and produce and raise the floor of your defense. Do you have any defenses that were good last year that you think are going to fall off this year? That is a good I mean, you could probably expect some regression from the Washington football team. Even though I love that defense, it's just going to be very difficult for them to stay as healthy as they did. Their front four was so healthy. Jonathan Allen, Deshaun Hand, Chase, Chase Young, and Montez Sweat all played a very high percentage of their defensive snaps. If they can stay healthy again, which, again, you have to expect some injury regression, that would be very helpful. And on the secondary, I mean, Cameron Curl, who I think was a fifth, sixth-round pick, played above expectation. That, that's Ronald Darby is no longer there. Like, you could probably see them slip a little bit just because of how good they were. Pittsburgh Steelers are a new one. They were a very good defense last year. They lose Bud Dupree. The secondary is still in shambles. I'd be very interested to see if they're still going to be a top-five, top-ten unit. I wanted to ask you also, I don't think he has any leverage, but you never know, uh, Nikhil Harry asking to be out of the Patriots. I thought it was a little interesting where the agent says he's only had this many targets. Obviously, the change in quarterback might have had something to do with that. What do you make of this? I, there's no, I don't think there's any leverage. Would you move him? I mean, or would you just say if you're Belichick, well, then too bad. You're, this is where you're at. It's a tough situation with Nikhil Harry. I don't think it's a targets issue. It's a getting open issue. And I think he was at Arizona State. I remember talking to Herm Edwards a couple weeks ago. So much of his production was schemed. I mean, they were funneling the kids' screens and near the line of scrimmage stuff. But you don't invest in a first-round receiver for him to take you know, you know, 40 50% of your scheme production, those screen passes, those crossers, and those types of things. You need a guy to get open. And he even at Arizona State – struggled to get open. You go back to his game against UCLA, Darnay Holmes, former five-star, now a slot corner for the Giants, couldn't get open against him. He's barely 5'9". Like, that is the problem. I think Nikhil Harry, it's not a change of scenery. It could be a change of role, but what offense in the NFL wants to bring in Nikhil Harry to be their scheme production guy? It's just so difficult to find and identify one of the, you know, every team has one, maybe one and a half, to find that guy to be your screen guy and all those types of things. I just don't know where it works for Nikhil Harry. I think he himself needs to improve significantly and find more unique ways to get open. He could be the Joker, too, for the Raiders. Oh, God. They need another Joker. If he they, played running back, John we got to get Tebow! Okay. We need more Jokers out here. Uh, it's it's probably not a good sign that Nikhil Harry has less yards in two seasons than Henry Ruggs had in oh, one season. Oh, yeah, that's not good. Like, Ruggs was a disappointment. That is an awful sign. Yeah, and Nikhil Harry's been much, much worse than that. Um, yeah, so... Tim Tebow, how if he if he oh, were to God. get cut by the Jaguars, how likely is it that John Gruden would say, you know, I want a tight end that can throw? 
Very unlikely. I can't, <laughs> even for John Gruden, I have to draw the line somewhere. There's just no way. There's just no way. I don't understand. It'd be very surprising, though, if he does get cut. I mean, I guess to be one of 53 on the Jaguars roster, I just don't think you do this you know, dance to not you know, have him on the 53-man roster, but we'll see. I think right now his DraftKings has his season projections at, I think, 12 and a half receiving yards and a half touchdown or something. We'll see. 12 and a half? <laughs> All right. See, all I was going to say was, Austin, you understand that we're going to have you back on as soon as he signed as a Raider, and I'm going to play <laughs> you saying it's unlikely. Austin, you realize, God, Austin, you realize Gruden sending a third it, and a fourth think about it, They did sign Jason Witten and played him and like yes. gave him targets, and now yes. he's like coaching high school football. They, like, I, 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 it's, it's not. It's not completely out of out of the question. They ran a tunnel screen for Jason Witten. <laughs> He was their go-to target in the red zone. Like, oh my gosh! I, I think Jason Witt might run better routes than Tebow, though. <laughs> well, Big Witt was so. solid. Let's trip over that. Big Witt was solid. I'm still stuck on the his Tebow's at 12 and a half yards. That like, so he's going to catch a ball and like uh, and retire. 12. His number's 12 and a half yards. Yeah, it's 12 and a half yards. You can bet it right now over 12 and a half. Hey, from the one yard line, that's yeah, 12 carries. 12 carries. Yeah. Um, you guys. Uh, I think it was Ben Lindsay wrote best case, worst case scenarios for teams in the NFL this year. And the Raiders worst case, I was surprised it was only six and 11. That seems optimistic for worst case scenario for the Raiders. Yeah. I mean, I do think that Derek Carr, I said this a thousand times, you know, Derek Carr gets a lot of hate. Derek Carr at his best is a top 12 quarterback in the NFL. And I think at his worst, he's top 18, top 16. And that, in my opinion, you know, you combine with, you know, you have Darren Waller there. I, I do think that the floor of this team should be six wins. Defensively, it's been a disaster, but it's been a disaster for a long time. I do think that Derek Carr is going to be as good as he has been, not necessarily lower than what he has been. And to that effect, with the strength of schedule they have, I think six wins does make sense. Maybe they did below that with injuries. But this is also a team, I think it's been under-discussed how little depth they have, especially on the offensive line. I know they brought some guys back, and they're really excited about Andre James. They paid him enough to be excited. So I do think that it'll be interesting to see the health of that offensive line. Because if they lose a couple starters, this is going to be one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. And like, We're not banking on, obviously, injuries, but you have to expect some at certain positions. That would be a scary scary moment talk about worst case scenario if they lose a couple starters along the offensive line for you know six eight games that's going to really take an effect and, and possibly drop them below that six wins what if they don't though let's go the well we're positive here on espn radio uh what if they don't and you know what everyone's healthy and that offensive line's better than people think and henry ruggs actually starts you know keeping his feet in bounds and crazy things happen like what's their ceiling though offensively then I, I do think offensively they could be a legit maybe top five unit in the wow. AFC. Like, I think that's where I, my mindset goes. But they're still going to be a wild card team. And I still think they're going to struggle against the powerhouses in the AFC. There's a lot of good teams in the AFC. Obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs, you have the Titans, you have the Bills, you have um, the Browns, the Ravens. Like, it's going to be a very tough year to compete in the AFC if you're not putting up 40 plus per, year, like, per game. You have to score. You have to score. And the Raiders. Even though you know they have had you know success offensively as play, I think Derek Carr had a really good season this past year. They haven't been putting up thirty, forty plus in a ton of games. I think that's where they need to be to be actually competitive in twenty twenty one. Well, he is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, as always, we appreciate you. Thanks, time. Austin. Of course, thank you. 
I top do, five offense. If they're a top five offense, what's the record? My God, do you I, know how do you know how funny it would be if they had a top five offense and we're six and eleven? And well, they can't. I don't think it could be that bad. <laughs> well, hold on here. Hold on. Uh, hold on. I have I have shown you the video of the what was it the twenty eleven Chargers that were number one in offense and defense yes. and went like seven and nine. You missed the playoffs. I but I if they were a top five offense but missed the playoffs, oh. That would be funny. I like that would be that's like one of the funniest scenarios. Lambeer is allowing the aces to shoot more threes. Yeah. I still think the Raiders take more. Silence. Okay. <laughs> Jared's made that joke like six oh, times I, over the last like seven months and it never works. It never works. <laughs> never. Not once. No. I don't even think Ed gets it. I, I don't even know what you're talking about. How are they Gruden likes threes? to kick field goals. Oh. Those are three-point okay, shots. Right. Yeah. But that's like looking at a logo and not knowing what it is because it's too confusing. I told you about logos, right? What? When you tell a joke, you must know it right away. Oh, when, yeah. yes. Whereas when you, if you look at that that UNLV disaster logo, like uh, there's 30 things on that. Yeah. So that's why it fell flat. I I, I apologize. I didn't. I couldn't. I didn't think beyond it. If they are a top five offense and they go six and eleven. Is he extended, or do they finally say we well, just have to get to the place? If, if they, listen, if they're a top five, if they're like, if we end the year and it's like they scored the top, fifth most points, what would a top points, five offense be? Thirty plus? It'd have to be. Uh, I don't know. Scoring was up by like two points last year. It was kind of absurd that scoring was like the highest it's ever been. No since spring like, ball. Yeah, since like the fifties or sixties or something ridiculous okay. like that. So uh, I don't, I don't know exactly. But if they're if they finish like they're fifth in points, right. like. Pro Football Yards. Focus says they're the fifth best offense. Right. DVOA says they're the fifth best offense, and they miss the playoffs. You have to extend Carr if they're the fifth best offense. Well, if you don't, you know he's challenging people to fight. He should, because <laughs> again, this last year they were like tenth, right? Which is good, but it's like okay, you can move on from the guy that's tenth. If they're number five, is there a better chance? Many... Is there a better chance if he he would challenge Brady to fight, or Brady knows knows who he is? Do you think Brady's future off? Because Brady might be like, what? (laughs) (laughs) They got that guy in Vegas. They got that guy. Yeah, exactly. He's Kucherov. You know, they got that guy in Vegas who supposedly challenged me to a fight. I was on their, (laughs) I was on the front page of their newspaper, and some guy in Vegas got mad about it. Let me go back into the 50 room mansion and not worry about that guy. Oh, that was funny. I've changed, challenged guys to fight. What does that mean? Like, <laughs> gonna like, fight people. Derek Carr's lost a lot of fights. You Man. walk in and call him a mother bleeper. He's gonna challenge you to a fight. I don't know what happens after that. You think he wears his vest, his camo vest to go? I oh, so. that's a great no, point. I assume you, he, he challenges you challenge him to a fight, and then all of a sudden Darren and David pop <laughs> up like Daisy said you like Darren and David would be like the cornerman. No, like they'd no, be in the I, corner. I, you, I to me, I think you got it the opposite. That Derek like stands back and goes. Get him, boys! Derek might be the pitcher who throws and hits a guy, and the entire both dugouts come, and he's just kind of back yes. up. Like, take care of it for me. Take care of it for me. So, Joe Kelly coming up yes. next. Sure, the A's are back in Vegas. Are they ever actually going to move here? And here's Diekman's pitch, and it's swung on a broken bat, and a diving play by Kemp on the right side, and the ball game is over. In a great ball game today, the Athletics get a much-needed win. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Was that Ken? 
Ken Korach. He does the radio yeah, for the Ken A's, Yeah, Ken Korach for the A's, yeah. He's Good a Vegas liar. Guy. That yeah. was not a great game yesterday. It ended 2-1. to one. Ken Korach, great guy from the Vegas. Nobody could hit. Terrific guy, Ken Korach, for the Las Vegas A's. He'll come home, of course, in three or four years when yeah, he's calling okay. games here. So Dave Cavill <laughs> and the A's are back in Vegas yeah. for like the hundredth time in the last month. Are we ever going to get any actual details out of the A's? Like, are we no. ever going to get, hey, we like these sites? Or is it just going to be everything's on the table? Are we ever going to get like a, hey, we're going to want this much public money? I think I, I think you'd hope it. You'd hope to have that. Nothing's going to happen before July 20th. Nothing's going to happen before the City Council of Oakland. And here's the other thing that we haven't talked about enough. July 20th just moves this whole thing right. forward. That is not the, a I final think people are saying, approval. oh, July 20th, if they say yes, Vegas is out, they build the store, they build the stadium tomorrow down. No, no. This is just them saying, well, we we are going to give enough to where we'll go forward. We're still miles apart, but we'll continue to negotiate. Right. I think that has to be said here because everyone's like, July 20th, July 20th. Now, if they come July 20th and say, no, we're done. Right. It could be then, over yes, July 20th. Then Vegas is completely in the picture. But let's say they give enough of a yes. This thing's going to go on for a long time. Yeah. I just, I don't know. The the A's keep coming back, and I, it feels like to me the more they come back, the less real it seems. Like, until that July 20th happens, like, the, why? Why do well, they keep coming back? Again, we talked about it yesterday also. Because it's Vegas! I mean, we talked about it yesterday also. I agree. Because you and I talked about this when it first happened, and I had someone tell me We have that, legal brothels! <laughs> I had someone tell me that are pretty in let's say in the, I'll County. say in the conversations that they said before this all happened they're coming for the first time it means nothing like it, it means nothing if the guy said and he's really close to these people if they come back now it means something now they're back a third time so either Deborah Marsh who said last week we understand they have to keep pressure on us we believe that statement made her believe like she still she still thinks it's leverage like you can go there as much yeah. as you want you're keeping pressure on us we get that I believed that in the beginning. I'm not so sure I believe that anymore. I'm not saying it's ultimately going to happen here because ultimately we're going to have to know what the public-private means, and there will be a public-private proposal. They are not coming here saying we want nothing in terms of public support. But I just – and maybe I'm wrong, Tyler, but I'm kind of believing it's more in play now. Like the first time, like whatever, it's leverage. I actually wrote that. This is leverage. I'm not so sure now. We are like they're Ben Affleck and we are J-Lo. Suddenly, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait, no, they keep coming back. There is, there was a Tyler like, did not meeting get that reference between the A's and Oakland earlier this uh, week. Two days ago. And like some of the, the highlights that came out of that was number one, the Oakland City Council did sort of confirm they only want to give one of those tax districts. Right. There's two tax districts that would pay the A's $850 million. It sounds like the city of Oakland is saying, well, we might give you one, but we're Which not giving you Which would be about half. Right, and they get about half the money there. But Dave Cobble's response to that was, basically, the plan we want has to be the same. Like, we can't make significant changes to this plan. He basically said, if you give us only one tax district, it's not going to work for us. No, Dave Cobble's on record saying this is a historic... Uh, breaking uh, plan that we've put forward. I don't know how you go through. We have a historic plan to, yes, we'll accept only half. <laughs> right. Like, that's a huge leap for Dave Cobble and the A's to make. I don't think they'd make that leap. So I still think it goes back to, will Oakland play with them right. and, and give them about as much as they want? Yeah, so, and maybe Oakland, maybe Dave Cobble's bluffing when he says that, right. and says it's a horse story plan, it's. and maybe at the end of the day, they say, hey, $400 million, sure. we'll take it. That's more than the Raiders got, so we'll stay. But Henderson's offer him $900 million. <laughs>